Best animation. This is an interesting one. I personally thought about it as like kind of use of animation to match the theme and kind of like to evoke something rather than just like technical, you know? Yeah. It was one thing I kind of regretted about watching the documentaries. I learned more about what's what's hard in animation. You know, like they say, like, like fabric and hair are like the hardest things. Yeah. So then you kind of are like, well, Brave is like all about like, you know, pelts basically. And you're like, that must have been really hard. And her hair yeah, her is so hair iconic is really in it. Good in that hair. In that I know. So I'd say like points for difficulty goes to Brave. Anyway, go ahead. Her hair is so iconic in that movie. Her hair I think is... just pure look and like memorable, like evocativeness, Incredibles gets points. Cause I think you get a lot of the sharp corners that are kind of evoked in the kind of end credit sequence is actually kind of remembered throughout the movie compared to like Monsters Inc where there's the, the credit sequence is kind of while lovely is not necessarily that evocative of what the rest of the movie does um, but apart from that Incredibles is not that interesting um, I love, I mean, I think Coco is the most interesting, just like color palette wise. Uh, like the darker reds and oranges are so beautiful and kind of the land of the dead. Um, and the, I forget what they're called. The kind of like, um, oh, the, the animals, the, yeah, the spirit animal kind of things are so beautiful and kind of evocative of those kind of like painted wooden or ceramic animals. Um, that are kind of like the trinkets and things like that. Um, I don't know. This one's this one's tough. What did you all say? I might be biased because I think it's the only one of these that we rewatched on our OLED TV. But oh my god, a ten years old Toy Story three looks oh, absolutely beautiful. amazing, especially the the cold opening is just it just pops right off the screen um i I mean it helps having the tv that we watched it on no i know Um, that but like lots lots of looks a a step above anything else really in terms of like and especially the 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 color space that you get to work with with something like a with a setting like a daycare it's just so pastelly and and vibrant and and whatnot but i i found myself thinking so many times as we were watching it what i would be thinking if i were a kid seeing it for the first time like if i were like three four years old with a tv that big when it looks that good i would just be like like i would want to watch toy story 3 every day (laughs) and i'd ask my dad to skip the ending (laughs) and And then i'd ask my dad to skip the second ending Yeah, it has the, it's the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King of, of Toy Story. Um, and that's the interesting thing about like the first two Toy Stories is that I think 
part it seems like part of the reason why toys were chosen is because at mm. that point with the yeah. technology they were using people were not an option because they looked scary as shit now oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like they looked kind of like kind of computer rendered like meme people in yeah. current day uh but the toys even in toy story one looked good because there are a lot of yeah. shiny services plastic it's plastic yeah. yeah because everything looked plastic um, yeah. so i think that was a great use of the technology yeah um, it's a that also worked for bugs life coming from there's a um... I don't think it was the official poster. It was like a, maybe it was a spoiler poster, but there's a poster for Toy Story 3 that really captures why I have it for this. It's just very maximalized. It's just like a sea, it's like a borderless sea of toys because there's so many toys yeah. in Toy Story 3. Um, it really just like captures oh, the maximalism and the color one. palette of it. Yeah, it's, it's, I also, you mentioned the intro to Toy Story 3. I also love it as kind of a both homage to and send up of the kind of like um, increasingly violent and like maximalized like way we think about our movies now, especially like action movies and like things exploding all the time and like just like one upness of how that works as well as like I don't know is he even playing he's not playing with them this is just that them doing it themselves right this is not like Andy getting older and therefore being into more mature stuff it's just them being like uh, he's playing with them because then he's he's being recorded right it's isn't it like a flashback oh yeah it's flashback yeah, yeah. that's true and isn't isn't there not a cold open to Toy Story 4? I've never seen it. It's one of the reasons. Toy Story 4 is not this colossal letdown. It's not on our list. It's not the, the greatest thing ever. But I remember going into it thinking, like, what's the cold open going to be? How are they going to up the last three cold opens? And I don't think there is one, which is just it's such a sour note to start it on. Yeah. Yeah, for me, this is also tough because, like, I couldn't help but think about sort of, yeah, like, the points for difficulty. So I kept wanting to say brave because of the, all of the, they say humans are the hardest thing. And um, and I think that to have, like, very iconic humans is very cool. I think Pixar, although I do have a problem with the way Pixar, and this is, like, any animated movie, like the way size works in Pixar, I just think is so kind of grody. Like any good woman is always freakishly tiny. Every man is always huge, like impossibly huge, but like not, but very clearly not fat, just huge. Um, like that, like you see that in like the family and brave. You see that in The Incredibles over and over again. Um, you see that in, like, especially the case of, like, the women. Like, it's just, I just, there's, whatever. So that really bothers me. Um, it's, I think, the most fixed a little bit in Coco. I feel like that's, like, the least problematic depiction of people. Oh, it's an up. 
like he's humongous and she's like this tiny little rail of a woman um and i wish they would not do that like i feel bad for like normal sized female animators does that but i mean it's not really humans humans yeah like i feel bad for normal sized female animators at at pixar who are like oh i'm gonna be making another possibly size incredibles waste yeah just all like any woman in these movies are i mean i know that this is true of any animated movie like i realize that i'm just but it's so exaggerated because pixar often has these exaggerated size differences especially like when you compare it to like some of the men um so that bothers me so i just wanted to like put that here as like a thing that bothers me in pixar movies but i think it's i think the answer is coco i think it's just very like enchanting of a look um i think yeah it's like all of the iconography is very beautiful i think yeah the orange is very gorgeous that guitar is so beautiful like that mm-hmm. white sort of bone white guitar yeah um and the way that like light especially functions because it's in all at because it's all at night basically like the whole movie yeah. almost is at night is really gorgeous um yeah, I don't. I tend not to love things that are at night that much, and it and I think it makes up for it um, with these like amazing sort of like glow in the dark animals and things like that. Um, it does the thing that it's like I think a little stereotypical that I don't love, which is like when you set something in Mexico, everything has to have like a sepia tone to it, like a dusty look, like mm. filter. Which is, I think, very stereotypical and a little dumb. Um, so I well, don't love that they do that. When that is set, correct? Is there any sort of modern technology that is being used? No. That's really the prevailing feeling of so many of these movies yeah. as they take place in this sort of like timeless, imaginary yeah. land. Yeah. Anyway. That's, but I think it's Coco, even though I don't love the whole, like, it's Mexico, so everything has, like, a sort of, like, w- orange cast to it. Or, yeah, just look like they're dust. Yeah, that's a little, I think, stupid and um, stereotypical and probably problematic, but I still say it's Coco. Cool. Uh, best franchise. Meaning, not, I mean... What was the idea? Yeah, I don't know. It kind of bl- blends a lot into world building. But it's like what, like in terms like of property, like capitalistic, like yeah, yeah. Like what? What's the best thing to like sell toys of? Which kind of gives it away. Is it not Toy Story? Yeah, yeah. It's I'd, I'd Toy say Story. Toy Story. <laughs> Toy Story. I mean, it's built a movie around toys. Um, I definitely yeah. had a Buzz Lightyear. I don't think I had a Woody, but I had a Buzz Lightyear, I remember. Oh, I had so many. I had so many things. I just, I I was never like a rag. I was never into, I I needed my stuff to stand up, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Most Uh, Pixar moment. Oh, God. Both in, could be in 
sugariness or yeah do we want to define this first we might all have different definitions of it too but what is your definition eddie i think for so many of these it's that it's just that overly saccharine almost like not oscar Beatty, but just way like going way like kicking it up to 11 trying to pull at your heartstrings type yeah stuff. like um, earnestness and a sort of like purity in both the good and bad way <laughs> so i went just uh, i went very cl uh, classic on this keeping it simple um I just the I will go sailing no more scene with Buzz Lightyear uh, at oh, Sid's house. God, I just it's I, so I don't <laughs> I don't think there's a I mean next to any I mean over anything with Boo over anything from up um, anything from onward onward's got a bunch of these. I don't think there's something that makes me sadder or makes me want to skip it more than. Um, than the original, the one that started it all, is is that Randy Newman song plus him, oh. like in slow motion, falling down the stairwell. Um, shit, it's rough. Yeah, uh, that's so tough. To me, I think. Okay, I have, I have a few opinions about this, shocker. To me, I think, like, the most iconic in sort of a bad way, like, not my favorite form, but I do think it's very Pixar, is just, like, the image of the house with the balloons from up. Sure. Um, and that it's, like, so, like, a bingo card of cuteness. Um, and it there's just something very sort of like yeah it's that to me is very pixar and that you see it a lot um and then but like i think the sort of more my my i have another one that's like my favorite but probably not the most and then i have one that's like the most to me the most most is the opening sequence from up like the the sad like Pixar short part that you know everyone says like they cry the whole time and blah 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 blah, blah and that's very real and it is very sad obviously it's very Pixar in that there's like so much nostalgia like embedded in it there's a lot of like um, I mean it's a kids movie but you know they have this like lovely little simple life and like he sells balloons at the zoo and she's a zookeeper mm -hmm. and like you're like this guy is not able to retire comfortably from selling like balloons at the zoo what is this like world that they think we think that they're in anyway um and the like and just like sort of it, it's also very pixar in a good way in that there's such pure simple moments of love you know and heartbreak is shown so simply and beautifully like them continually having to crack into their savings jar is just such a that montage is just such a clean thing there's some sort of 
things I don't like about Pixar in that they always sort of like play to some pretty easy white middle class, very gendered stereotypes and like the woman coming down with a nameless disease that leaves no physical effects, but you just die. Um, so yeah, but my favorite, favorite Pixar moment, like when I think it's done best is the last shot of Monsters, Inc. Uh, oh. where you know she just says kitty like it's because it's so his hot. face yeah. his face is just so hopeful and pleasant and like it, it it sort of doesn't couch itself in any like easy white middle class tropes like so many of the other pixar movies do um and it just it just makes you so it's like that's like them using their powers for good in like the best way because it is so simple and it's so joyous and like it's like the best things about Pixar all rolled into one. Like your ability to animate this monster and see all that happiness on his face. So yeah, sorry, that's a really long answer. It's three separate answers, and I don't know which one is actually like the most, but I know the best one is that last shot of Monster Inc. Kitty, kitty. Um, I don't know. At one point, I was thinking the Sarah McLaughlin song from Monster mm, oh, yeah. from Toy Story Two. Oh. It's just, it's just like trying to pack as much emotion into one mo- into one like flashback as possible, and like especially considering it's like just music, and obviously there's it's there's talking in the lyrics, but it's like just like showing rather than than telling i think is something that pixar tries to do a lot um and it's a very over saccharine um i like i like yours your uh end of monsters inc one though um like the best last shot of any movie (laughs) it's so good yeah Sounds Next like we up, stump the schmoolies. Oh, that was your what's pick. I best... thought we stumped the schmoolies. Sorry, sorry. No. What's the best dog? We didn't have a best dog. Is it Doug? What's Doug? Is it Doug? What's his name? Doug's a dog. Up? Yeah. Is it Doug? I think it's Sid's terrible. Oh God, Sid's Spuds <laughs> McKenzie. Pitbull Spuds. Spuds McKenzie looking ass. The dog. The dog from. Uh... Oh, I love the moment dog. in Coco when, when the dog, when the guy, the, oh, I was, it was interesting, like, they kind of skirted over the fact that there was a border in Coco. Oh, yeah, like the whole, like, border crossing thing. The border control thing. Yeah. Uh, I did like the fact, that I, I noticed for the first time, the border was actually made up of these, like, very Mayan-looking um pyramids um like it was kind of like set up on those things but the 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 guy in the office who's allergic to the dog that doesn't have hair it's a little dog what's his name wait is best dog a category or are we just talking about it i was just made We're it just talking dogs okay we're gonna keep moving. Okay, burning I questions. Down, I went down a Spuds McKenzie googling search <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, burning questions is 
Oh no, we got it. We I so I didn't put it on the first show notes. I forgot to add to simply what's the best thing you ever saw. What the best thing you ever saw? saw. Yeah. (laughs) Who wants to go first? Yeah, we gotta do it. Ever saw that's now. So it came down to four for me. This was one of the harder ones. I think this is the hardest one yet. So hard. This This is the hardest. This is really rough. So I had four. Well, I guess really five. Out of (laughs) fourteen. Out of like ten. So there were yeah. So I had five swirling around. (laughs) Um, Incredibles was in the conversation. Can't go with the Incredibles for. I mean, it's just not for kids in any way shape or form we can probably we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later with some of the things we have coming true. up but it's cool like that's what it's the it's kids cool to see it. kids doing powers uh, it's and powers so, are cool if we I learn mean, anything i guess really in ways that you wouldn't pick up on as say a five-year-old but it is so adult and dark in its thematics I don't love the presentation of masculinity in that movie for both the adult man and the little boy is just like, real. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I mean, not to mention the Jason um, Lee character, but anyways, cross that off my list. The Incredibles. <laughs> oh, Jason, Jason Lee character, the original um, incel. Yes. Like it, there's just something very incel about that whole character. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um, I mean, I think the best thing I ever saw is really the cold opening of Toy Story 3. Um, <laughs> but I think for, for me, it came down to Wally, mostly for like a grade point average sort of thing. It was between Wally and Monsters University. Um, but Wally between those two just has the higher grade point average. It looks better. No pun um, intended. I think after, after Toy Story 3, or I mean, it's really one of the best looking ones is Wally. It's one of the best sounding ones. It's got a great plot. I think it is the one that, if it's not the one that's most for kids, which I think essentially a Pixar movie should be, despite... Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg wanting these movies to fuck. Um, the, it, it's really the best one for kids. It, 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 it's, it's at least the one I'd be most excited to show to a kid, especially a little kid, is Wally. Um, I love how it incorporates, you know, love for musicals and one. It's a great love story. It's a beaut- like as a way um, of a, as a way of yeah. showing kids like what love looks like. It's really beautiful. Very gentle. And I think I was so I was gentle. so close to going with with monsters you but it's harder I mean on the one hand you show it to like a 3 4 year old they're they're not going to think anything of it but it is I don't know if you I was I was thinking whether you could show it to a kid before showing them monsters inc and like does it matter which order you show them in um I think there's enough that's sort of lost and confusing if you don't show them Monsters Inc. first for what it's worth. So Monsters, yeah. So being a being a sequel, like slash prequel, I think it, it's it's harder to stand at the top for me. 
And that's, I know we could have a much interesting conversation too. It's just, I don't, for it being so good, I wish they cared about it more. I mean, for you. Yeah. For a studio that really like smacks you over the head with how seriously they take their stuff and how much they love their stuff. It's really disappointing that that monster. I don't know. There's just something. It's like they didn't want me to like monsters. You that much. Totally. Which is just so bizarre because it's so damn good. Um, what do you mean they didn't want you to like it? It's just you know why why isn't there a Randy Newman song from it that I can't get out of my head? He did mm-hmm. the score just like all the other ones. Um, it just feels. It's it missing take, some of it, the Pixar it touch. Yeah, it doesn't take itself as self seriously as all of the other ones. Yeah, um, it's like they're it's like they think it's a cars too. And it has sort of an interesting production history. So originally um so you know Disney now owns Pixar, but originally Pixar was sort of its own thing and Disney for the first 7 or so films had distribution and marketing rights and they had rights they had sequel rights. That's why Toy Story 2 has a little bit of a messed up history because it was originally going to be direct to video. That's why Toy Story 2 kind of feels like three episodes of like a would-be Disney Channel Toy Story series stitched together is because this was like the late 90s, early aughts was peak uh, like Michael Eisner direct to DVD uh, like Disney sequels like like Cinderella 9 and stuff like that. uh, Yeah. So... Aladdin, King of Thieves. Lady and the Tramp. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so many Lion King movies. I love Aladdin, King of Thieves, by the way. <laughs> so Disney had... Prince of The way that I understand it, they were sort of like, as soon as they like had... Prince of Tides. Like, they, like, they were ready to spring into production for like countless direct-to-video video sequels for a lot of the early Pixar movies. So Monsters Inc. started as Monsters Inc. 2 Lost in Scaradice. And they were about to produce that. Scaradice. Wow. Um, Scaradice Clay. Hey. Oh, no. (laughs) No. But yeah, but anyways, it's I get that. Because it had that sort of protracted yeah. Yeah, yeah, production yeah. history and it was going to be a sequ- it was going to be a shitty like Disney and they had outsourced it to their um like what would have been Pixar, would like what what would have been Disney's Pixar rival had Pixar not eventually been absorbed by them. They had this subsidiary that ended up not producing anything but they did a lot of treatments for them like lost in scaradise um and you kind of feel that you feel like it was kind of like an afterthought um yeah it just feels damn it, like I love it. there wasn't the fanfare around it so yeah you end up gonna end up going with wally wally is this yes. the time where we can talk about because i honestly think my answer is wally too but Andy and I had this great conversation. Wally 2, about, Lost in Scaradice. Oh my God. About like how problematic Wally is. Yeah. Um, and I think we should talk about it. Not like to again talk about like this. Like the way fatness is treated in that movie is uh, so bad. It's yeah, so bad. The second, and, and that contributes to like 
I don't enjoy watching that second half as, as much. Oh, the thing is, I totally do. Like, I love everything about it. But, but like, the idea that, like, that fatness is code for lack of health. And, like, universally. And just, like, lack of movement. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, like, how that somehow like and and just the universality of it that that everyone stopped moving because they got lazy and when everyone did that everyone got fat tur and it's and like and the sort of like link between that and the way like the children are sort of pushed to the, like the like these people like aren't even really parents like they're not even really people really um they don't like know love in the same way i think is the implication um and just like it just was such a stupid move to like yes have some of them be fat but have some of them just be like whatever like thin and sallow skinned and some of there's so many ways to look unhealthy like there's like there's so many ways to look unhealthy and there's so many ways to be unhealthy and not look unhealthy You know what I mean? Health is not something that you can see. So if you're trying to say that these people are unhealthy, why do you just go straight to the fat thing? And there's also something really problematic in Wally about how like, basically like big, whatever, what's it called again? Like big and large? By and large. large, Which again, problematic. Is like supposed to be Walmart, right? And it's like, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. But, like, so much of it is, like, everything looks tacky, right? Like, like that there's this, like, idea of, like, you know, these, like, big companies. Everything looks awful. Everything's junk. Um, but that's being put out by Disney. Scrappy upstart. Disney yeah, Pixar. which is truly the by and large of our world that owns everything. Like, the idea that, like, Steve Jobs and I guess, I don't know if Steve Jobs is involved in this movie. I don't know, like, where it lines up with his death or whatever. But, like, that, you know, and that Eve basically looks like an iPod. You know, what? like, this, like, oh, what? Yeah. Like, she's beautiful and, like, a classy kind of rich technology. There's, like, this element of size that's really problematic in it and an element of class of, like, of, like, no, we're not really criticizing capitalism here. Lord knows. We're just criticizing, like, ugly, poor fat people, people. Yeah, poor yeah. people capitalism. And it just feels like if you are like a red state MAGA person and you want to like get mad, watching Wally would be like a good thing to like make you like righteously angry. Because um, there's this implication that like these fat people who wanted sodas ruined America. When we really know like what ruined the world was the corporations which aren't even really that implicated. Um, it's all put on the individual people for like being dumb enough to yeah. like right. whatever yeah. you know like like this should be a takedown of by and large and actually you think you see that coming that like they're evil and they wanted this and they're somehow still making money um but that's not the case it's just like oh people were too like fat and lazy and dumb um and again being put out by disney is rich which i know is like a weird prelude to say that i think this is the best pixar movie but i think it is. <laughs> Look, 
I just love the Wally part so this all goes, much. This all goes back to one person, and she's on fucking notice. I'm talking to you, Joan Cusack. <laughs> but still, you're welcome on Best Thing I Ever Saw Anytime. For best I, don't know, pod I don't know what these fools are talking about. <laughs> um, I love Joan Cusack. <laughs> Appreciate Jesse. So love for me, it was Monsters U, which I kind of agree with Andy that I like, I feel like Pixar should not get credit for Monsters U because Pixar didn't even love it enough to like make yeah. it, you know, whatever. And Wally, which I feel like I love, but I also feel like is so maybe rotten, like maybe even at its core. Um, so I think that maybe, I don't know, maybe it is Toy Story 3 then, which I feel like is the safe the safe thing to say that was like um, three for me uh and the thing is is that i realize that i like re-watching all of these i realize i do love these movies um very much but there's not a single one that's untouchable like that's like that's sort of the the yeah. cultural narrative about it is that oh these are all great a plus movies and that is not true they are all deeply problematic in their own ways so Maybe Toy Story 3. I think Wally is up there because it's in a way, I just, I think the opening 30 minutes are so well done. And I get, I like the kind of like uprising of the broken robots thing but apart from that the life on the ship and the way it looks i mean i think the reason why everyone looks the same is because it's it's to make the people less interesting than the robots yeah in order just visually and 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 for the audience um but it's not as interesting to look at i really like Yeah, it's just not as interesting to look at. And um oh, can we just do a little shout out to the obsessive cleaning robot who I also think would go into the <laughs> cute hall of fame. So good. Mm-hmm. Um Enneagram one to end all Enneagram ones. Um and I don't know. So I watched Monsters University for the first time. I think Dylan and I might have watched it while extremely high and asleep once. Wow. Um, but I actually watched it, watched it this time. Who are you, a wasp? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really uh, deep reference to our Zoom call with Andy's parents last night, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. <laughs> um, I guess I maybe, maybe I'm, I'm feeling the, what you guys were saying where I, there it just didn't feel like a pixar movie in a lot of ways i appreciated most of the kind of collegial stuff although that's college movie you ever saw i also didn't experience a college that acted like that in most ways i mean there are certain parts of carlton that were very as someone who was on the frisbee team i guess you could see it yeah, but 
I guess it felt like twice removed from being about college in certain ways. Um, and I, and I guess what I like about Pixar movies is when they are not as directly imitating our world. I think that makes them more interesting and therefore Monsters University is not as interesting to me personally. I think it's like a very well done movie, but it just doesn't appeal to me in the way that a lot of other Pixar movies do. Yeah, Andy? I, was, I think it's the most rewatchable one because it goes down so easily. Like if I have to put one on tonight, I'm putting on Monsters U. Yeah. Low, it doesn't so, so many low these, stakes. Yeah. And so many of these sag in the middle for me, like the, like I, I went into this thinking something we've never talked about is like, what was your, what, what was your presumed pick going into it? And oh, I had this, I had this narrative that I was this like big toy story two fanatic. Um, cause Rachel and I did a rewatch, like I said, a couple of years ago and I really liked it, but I was also shopping for a winter coat at the time. So I think I just sort of made up a lot of toy story two in my head. Um, <laughs> but a lot, a lot of these, I thought you were just like in <laughs> life, you were shopping for a coat and were very just distracted in general. <laughs> Got a great deal. I still have that coat. Um, yes you do i know the coat you're talking about um oh my god but a lot of the pixar a lot of these movies kind of sag in the middle for me yeah yeah the yeah, yeah. The, the woody's roundup stuff is just so protracted okay. when he's in wayne's night when he's in wayne knight's apartment um a lot of the brave stuff yeah a lot of the brave stuff a lot of Oof. some of the incredible stuff in the middle is like a little too protracted for me um sid's house sid's bedroom is just like a little too much for me um wally and monsters you i think are the smoothest narratives wally asks a lot more from you so that's why in terms of like rewatchability like you, you kind of gotta like um, prepare yourself for Wally with a few things. Not that it's not emotionally draining, but it just—I think it just asks a lot more from you. I mean, just monsters. You when is Wally just, is like slowly dying, it's like a lot. Oh. Um, but yeah, monsters. You. I do think though that my. So, sorry, go ahead. No, it's just—it's just yeah. It's. I mean, it's, it's not to make it sound trivial. Um, I think there's still some decent thematics there. Um. Oh, so good. And, the and anything that reminds me of Parent Trap is totally an A plus in my book. I think though that my one sort of problem with the thematics in Monsters U is I don't think that Wally or not Wally, that Sully um or Mike Wazowski get like punished enough for how little they think of their um I just I don't love their the, whatever Sully, the Sully character in Monsters University that much. I don't, well, I don't think you're supposed to. I know, you're, but yeah, I don't even yeah. like him as a villain or like as a non. I just, I don't, his journey feels so cut and dried and. Is it Gigi? Like they should apologize to the, what are the, who are the other guys in the fraternity? Ooze Macappa or. Yeah, the, the, the Ooze Macappas. Like they John need to Carlton. Like, there needs to be like a whole thing where they're like, we're so sorry. We thought so little of you. You have supported us the whole time. We actually could have been nowhere without you. And they never do. And I feel like that's kind of grody. Anyway. That, 
you went to the brave the fact that emma thompson is in that movie and she doesn't speak for 75 percent of it oh, yeah. is a crime that's a good point there are like five minute portions of brave that i really enjoy watching and rewatching, but a lot of the bear stuff is weird that's again a pixar middle man pixar middles like are rough yeah yeah it also it's a good it's it's a good last 20 minutes though i do think like the the chase and the end and the the kind of the fight scene i think are all pretty well done and, and a good like finishing and when she's like riding through with her mom at the end when her mom has let her hair down both figuratively and literally. I've been thinking a lot about Brave, especially in relation to Frozen, and about how, like, if you are going to try to do a a narrative about, like, a woman's self-determination in the context of sort of a fairy tale place, I think you can't really have that be linked to marriage. It's just too weird. It's true. It's just too weird. It's just too weird that you're talking about basically like this teen girl being essentially like sold off sexually. And it's just like, and it's a metaphor for like, I don't know, the modern like wanting to like be a basketball player. You know, like it's it's a big step. And I think that like Frozen, and I I like the idea of it, obviously. This is, it's just, it's too historically linked. I think Frozen does it better where the where that is like in this sort of duty responsibility vein um but not linked to like marriage and in fact yeah. the sort of like princely fairy tale marriage in frozen is a joke um and like in, like you know like there's this song about them falling in love and it's a joke song um i think i just think that like yeah like frozen is the better version of brave yeah I don't know if it's because I'm insanely attracted to Scottish accents, but I love the voice acting of of the main character. She's in a bunch of stuff. Kelly McDonald. She's a oh from Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Boardwalk she's Empire, Gosford Park. I don't know if it's because I have curly hair, but that hair is something else. Um. Did you answer, Sam? I can't. I remember. have not answered yet. It probably probably could have gotten a clue. And who knows if I'd have this answer a week from now or a year from now. But Coco works. Coco fucks. <laughs> I think that I love that it's propelled by the music. Yeah. The music's so good. I love it's up there with kind of the Monsters Inc. Um, just ingenious constructions. I mean, I guess it's not as quite as novel because it's based on kind of heritage and kind of something different than completely make believe. But kind of the the visualization and like of of memory and what it means to be remembered and to pass down kind of heirlooms and kind of the importance of family 
not only in kind of like a who's there, but kind of like cultural heritage. Um, I think that that's really well done and I think it's beautiful. And I do think that it's like, because of a lot of the, the ending, it's not like something I'm trying to rewatch every, like all the time. It's does not go quite down as smooth. Um, but I don't know. I I just think it's a beautiful movie. I agree. I think that there's a beautiful theme that runs through all Pixar movies. Two things, which is like a a lot of Pixar movies are thematically like sort of um, tales that are like against like repressing feelings and thoughts and truths. Um, and I think Coco does that really well. I think also like Coco, like all Pixar movies, a lot of Pixar movies have like a, a truth at the end of it that like needs to be found out. A truth at the end of it that needs to be found out. And, um, and I just love that theme that like, that like we don't, you know, like morally Pixar does not believe in like avoiding your feelings and like morally Pixar believes in like finding out the truth about something. And once you find out the truth, you like fix it. And also like the healing nature of the truth. Like this family was like torn apart and is separated from music because of a kind of miss, obviously a mistake on that father's part, but also kind of a, a misunderstanding of how, of his, real feelings and the fact that he wanted to come back and stuff like that. And once that is, once the truth about that situation, once the truth about history is revealed, there is a kind of like a healing, more better world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was la- if you saw me laughing, I was laughing because um, I think if Pixar deserves to be immortalized, it's perhaps first and foremost because of how consistently they churn out taught sort of classically structured scripts with a, like a twist or a reveal towards the end of the, the second act. And I think Coco is one of the best examples of that, yet not nominated for, uh, for best screenplay. Um, what was nominated for best screenplay? Ratatouille. Mm. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I love the... Oscar's so white. I love the, um, the reveal in this. of the Oh, so is, good. Like true real ancestor is. And, and just the kind of setup of, of, the, of the party and have all of the, like his old movies, which is very like, it's a completely believable thing that this like completely self-centered narcissist has like pictures of his old movies when he was alive playing and then you see the movie that is the line that he just said about or that like, like the poison the, the poison thing yeah. that like that's a plot that is used in the movie and just like this like dumb evil guy and that's very like once villain. upon a time in hollywood yes uh, leonardo dicaprio character <laughs> yeah and it's 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 smart because like in hindsight you realize that like, oh, like, of course he's evil. He like, 
look at all these things he was doing. He was so obsessed with himself. And he had this, like, exclusive party only available to some people. <laughs> yeah. I was trying um, to think more about the Frida Kahlo part of it. Yeah, that's a little problematic. It's a, it's problematic in just that it's like kids don't get it's it's so it's such an adult joke. It's like a ha ha Frida Kahlo is such a cliche, isn't she? It's like if I'm a seven year old, I need to learn all of the ways that Frida Kahlo is awesome for like yeah. thirty years before I can have someone tell me how it's like a little cliche. Yeah. And it also just like, I think it's both cliche and kind of making fun of modern art is just weird and superfluous. And like her art is kind of just like zany for zany's sake, I think is kind of what it's saying. It's like just trying to be surprising and weird as an end goal. And it's also like making fun of trauma, which is very not Pixar. Like it doesn't ring true. Um, I just don't think that free, I think the free Kahlo is just like, oh, we need a famous Mexican person in here. Let's do Frida Kahlo. Because um, that could just have easily not directly been Frida Kahlo. You know, I just don't think that was a necessary part of it. Um, first question. It- well, our first question was, the, what's the best Pixar movie you ever saw? But our first burning question, hunk of hunk of burning question. Is, burning question jingle. Is the best Pixar movie you ever saw the best movie on this list? I think, I think so. we sort of talked about this. I mean, like maybe yeah. Monsters University is better. Maybe. Sam's making faces. For the listener, Sam's making faces. I don't know. I think my I think mine is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My conscience is clear. Conscience is clear. Can edit the first takeout. <laughs> The next question is, who are Pixar movies for? I guess, like, one question, one reason why I had this is, like, I feel like I can fast forward to, like, eight years from now, and I am, like, sitting down my future child to some Pixar movie that I've been very excited to show them, and they just look at me, they're like, what the fuck is this? I want to watch little mermaid again or whatever it is like i just i i honestly have questions about whether little kids like these movies and maybe they do i don't know but i i will be curious to see and i'm trying to like you know as i I show children these movies approach it with that obviously it depends on on which movie it is right um, you know, Finding Nemo seems like one of the more kid kid friendly ones, and we're gonna or I'll encroach a little bit yeah. on the on the next question. We had a question talking about whether I guess the the next question is is Pixar necessary from like a time capsule? You know, send it out into the probe and outer space to be immortalized standpoint, and 
Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, something like Toy Story, I think is important from a technological achievement standpoint and from a it's funny that Tim Allen is doing a William Shatner impression standpoint, but that doesn't really, that doesn't convert to a, to a kid's enjoyment in 2020. Like I, I sort of lost on them that it was so visually groundbreaking 25 years ago. Um, I, I, you know, I'd see myself being much more excited to show them certain Disney animated musical movies that I like so much more. Um, and I think, I think it's gotten really easy for them to fall into what feels almost like self parody in the last 10 to 15 years after, you know, they, they got so huge and the prevailing take was that like, they're for both kids and adults. And it sort of just folded in on itself. But there was something like, like up is such a, um, demonstration of that and how it's, you know, it's it, it's a kids movie. It's an animated movie, but obviously, you know, so much of the heart and um, character of that movie is this very heavy adult story. And but at the same time, there's just some there's just so much like zany stuff in it. With like we talked about the Christopher Plummer aspect and so many from the last decade and a half have like really been yeah it's like self-aware of like well like we're like people love us because yeah i mean we're we're like we're the kids movies for adults or we're the adult movies for kids yeah i think it's like the it is largely especially more recently like adult themes and lessons and pathos put into packaging that allows kids to enjoy watching them and rewatching them. But like the lessons are more, are rarely lessons that kids can understand or like, at least for a lot of like the, like Wally, like the lesson about like, it's not like a, that it would require some explaining as to like a lot of, why like the environmental stuff i mean hopefully it's subliminally that's the clearest thing it's like give a shit about the environment kids yeah stop throwing your trash everywhere i was thinking about incredibles like i think incredibles was one of the more rewatchable for me when i was a kid i mean it came out when i was 11 i think i might have watched it the most because there was less emotionally charged. Like I loved Finding Nemo, but I think I watched it less because it was a harder watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, think sorry, go ahead. Incredibles, like the whole like father stuff was like, I didn't get that. Like that was not, it was all, I mean, it was kind of about the kids, but I also didn't really care about like the kids being okay with their powers like that was not especially resonant with me either it was just fun to watch watch which i think is like what pixar is trying to do a lot of the time for kids yeah i mean i feel like there's usually like two themes to the movie 
you know, I remember taking away, I was a little older than you, Sam, but like from the Incredibles, like if you'd asked me when I was like 14 or whatever, what the lesson was, it would be like, embrace what makes you special. You know, don't hide what makes you special, embrace what makes you special or whatever, you know, like a pretty standard thing. For me, it's actually the Toy Story stuff where this comes across the most. Like, I I don't see how, and I kind of even remember this at the time, how you come away from Toy Story, watching the Toy Story movies as a kid, and you just feel very conflicted about throwing away toys. Like, I feel like that's, like, what ends up happening. (laughs) Is that where that that tendency came from you? Just, like, trouble throwing away things? I really didn't like, or, like, not, I I would feel guilt for not using things enough, but, like, guilt to the object. Mm. Um, Yeah, Marie Kondo would not like toy story but anyway but like the whole sort of existential aspect of toy story but like what's your purpose in life i don't see how that's really again like i don't see how a kid gets past just the like the what my toys are alive and they don't like it when i don't play with them (laughs) and it hurts their feelings it makes them depressed what (laughs) anyway if you would have asked me in like 2004, what the, like what you're supposed to take away from the Incredibles is, it would be that um, if you're a fan of something, that thing owes you everything. (laughs) And if you're then betrayed by that, you have the right to um, engineer, engineer engineer a long game (laughs) in which you murder the aspects of that thing um, it's just so relevant. And then, and then, like, uh, execute a false flag attack on a major <laughs> U.S. city. No, it's so true. Syndrome is like the worst. It's weird. It, I mean, it's scary how prescient that movie is, and how like syndrome is just the internet. <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially when it pertains to things. Like, it's so interesting talking about this. I was just thinking about, like, why I enjoy watching things. And, like, and I think a lot of a lot of this process of, of watching things, especially things that I've loved and talking to you guys about it, is I think so much of, of enjoying watching something is so subjective and based on your experiences with that i mean i get that there are certain things that make a movie good and like things you can point to but like i just think it's so dumb how like people valorize things that they grew up watching when you don't have a critical thought process when you're young like the people who think star wars is this sacred thing because the originals are are the most amazing movies ever when they've watched them at a very formative and uninformed time in their life um and and then you grow up think and then you get so angry mm-hmm. and syndrome syndromized when those things are changed or kind of just like brought into a new age or added to um and and obviously it's it's like fully weaponized uh now in the age of of twitter and reddit and 
in the age of syndrome, as I think it should not be called. Oh, God. Yeah, except for, like, in the internet, the syndrome wouldn't be attacking Mr. Incredible. He'd find some sort of logic to, like, let Mr. Incredible go, and he would only focus on um, Frozone and Mrs. Incredible, because they're women in black. Yeah. He'd say like Mr. Incredible wasn't actually friends with them in the beginning. They just exactly. Been, that, they've like, just been that the whole time. On. Yeah, that the whole time those two just like were. They don't like, have any actual powers. It's just like. Yeah. Oh my god. A hundred percent. Okay. Next burning question. Uh, I guess we did. Who are Pixar? Is Pixar? Um, is Pixar necessary? Do we want to go more into that? And Pixar is necessary. What makes Pixar movies good? Are they that good? I especially as someone who I'm realizing more and more these days really enjoys fantasy and world building. I think Pixar consistently does world building in a very interesting way. And to like have, I don't think they've been that great in some of the recent years, but like, cause, cause, cause some of the best movies like Toy Story three is, is a world that's already exists. Like, um and onward is i i don't know like playing off of that kind of that kind of world i don't think that that's really that much world building i mean they're just I playing agree. it's I know like I D&D. yeah um i agree i take back my but coco answers. is like very interesting world building i think um and i think the fact that they're able to do that still proves at least to me there exist their worthiness of still existing um and obviously they have there's a lot of problems with the movies and sometimes the themes that they're trying to get at are not actually the themes that they're they think they're getting at um but i think in terms of like fantasy and imagination there's such a worthwhile cause yeah i agree i think that pixar movies are good when they are smart and tight and i think it's when they get you know, so there's so like I actually don't think Pixar movies are best when they are like extremely broad emotional, like uh, essentially these emotional set pieces that they've become known for are not their best because those don't, are not always the smartest or tightest things to put. Sometimes when they fit, they fit, but when they value sort of a clever and often that's why Pixar is good is it's like the product product of or not Pixar. Toy Story is good. It's like it's the clever product of problem solving, you know, um, from an animation perspective. So, and I also think that they're bad when they rely on like lazy visual shorthands, fatness, darkness. Yeah. Um, because they can be. They, they're. They, if you're smart enough to think of X Y Z you are smart enough not to make the fat people, the dumb people. You are smart enough not to make the bad guy, the dark guy, you know? Um, and that's like, it's almost why it's more annoying when they do that because like they, they can stake so much on being clever and being, um, and able to tell a very tight, clever story. That's my sort of thesis about Pixar. I yeah. guess after all. And I guess this. one more thing. I, I mean like Zootopia is a good movie but I think that it is a fantasy, a type of fantasy and a type of world building that, that I feel less impressed by because it is relying on our 
framework and kind of just turning it a little bit rather than creating a new framework, especially one that is connected to, to our world in some way. I think that's what Pixar, that, those are the Pixar movies I love most. Yeah. And there's something about, especially Toy Story, Finding Nemo and all that stuff is like, there's a way that there's like a, a childlike curiosity. It's almost like inspired Bugs by life. actual yeah. play. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what kids imagine when they're playing and imagining and thinking that that's like, there's this childlike aspect of that. I don't think Zootopia really has. No. But that's like part of that sort of like, whatever. Anyway, Andy, what do you think? Um, I think their greatest merit is, I think I mentioned this already. And you mentioned how, how they're, what did you said? Titan. Oh, Titan smart. Titan um, smart. Wait. Wait. Yeah. I think Titan their biggest, a- their biggest asset is when they, when they're just, yeah, they're very minimal high impact scripts where, I mean, a lot of these are like a tight 90, maybe a hundred minutes. There's a big grave moment of, of discovery or self-discovery towards the end of the second act. Um, you know, we've talked about that instance in, um, in Coco, but you know, the, and the, I mean, I guess, I guess it does get kind of trite after a while. Um, you know, how many times is like by the end of the second act, like the older male character that you thought was like the patriarch of something is, is actually evil. The prospector in Toy Story 2, um, Water Noose and Monsters Inc., Christopher Plummer and Up, Lots of. so in Toy Story 3. Um, but Coco. Coco, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's a lesson that we yeah. still continue to need to learn. So Yeah, we haven't gotten it yet. So yeah. until we do. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, that's what I really appreciate about them, but I, I, you know, I, are any of these, would I be excited to hand these down? Would I be as excited to hand some of these down as I would be certain Disney animated movies? I don't think so. Would I be as excited to hand these down as say, um, like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? No, I don't think so. Um, See, I don't know. And I, I think it's hard to convert what I think makes these endure into something multi-future generational. You know, I, I, like, and I, I'm, I'll be repeating myself here. I don't think, why, why does a four-year-old in 2020 care about the visual nature of the original Toy Story? You know, why does... Yeah, half the toys um, aren't even relevant anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is there... What's the... Let me check the question. I guess this is, this is a question that we'll get into in terms of what I think are best for a top kid to show to your kid. Um, we can, when we kind of got into this, does up still work if you completely remove Christopher Plummer? Um, you're welcome Pixar we fixed it yeah I mean it's hard as long as you maintain Doug right as long as you maintain Doug find a way to maintain Doug I mean Doug can I don't know but with the voice it's just yeah I mean it's like 
they had to reverse engineer being able to hear a dog talk and they somehow got Christopher Plummer's character. <laughs> no, you have Christopher Plummer's character having lived down there and maybe he just recently died or something like that. And so the dogs are now loose. The dogs have s- eaten half of Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> like this. And they and are so, hungry for human flesh. And so like the dogs, somehow the dogs are still like the bad guy. Like the bad guy, dogs are still kind of bad guys. I really don't. The scene where the dogs are like thrown off the side of the cliff. It's rough. Whoa. Yeah. No, I guess so. Yeah. Christopher Summer <laughs> dies, but his dogs are continuing his mission. And or at least like trying now, to like protect. It doesn't take away. It's still what the fuck, but you know, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think maybe that. Maybe you just scrap Doug. I think you kind of have to scrap Doug because. Doug gets his own spinoff or he gets his own property. I mean, he probably does. There's probably a short. No, yeah. There's like a whole thing where you make the, the helping the bird return to her kids more of an adventure. Right. And so it's all the time. Like the kid is ending up sort of convincing uh, the grandpa. I guess he's not a grandpa, but convincing Asner to go on an adventure. And by the end he realizes, Oh my God, we went on an adventure and it was great. Just like Ellie wanted to. Yeah, maybe the, the I mean? bird like gets that. hurt and they find the bird hurt and the kids wants to help the bird, but the grandpa yeah. wants to continue the. And yeah. he's so reluctant. And blah, 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 blah. We fixed yeah, it. it. You're welcome. I think we fixed it. Uh, fixed it. What's with all the MAGA paraphernalia? Yeah, we, we, we got into this a little bit, but again, whether it's a, a, a stretch or not or cherry picking or not, I think... There is something to be said about reckoning with the fact that these movies take place in this achronological, like, fantasy, very white past where it's... I don't know. It's... And you, I mean, you have to... I mean, given the... Yeah, thinking about that makes Coco even worse. Makes what the, about Coco worse? The, the fact that if it's this timeless age and where Mexico, like the non-white oh, yeah. version is like yeah. much more retrograde and feels much more rural and less developed. Yeah, there's something weird about that. <laughs> and it, animation is what you make it to be. And time and again they've chosen to create these world and it's, some of it's just like it's just like funny to point out like what time like what year is it in the incredibles the flashbacks yeah. make it seem like they're set in like the 60s but they also live and it's in, like super mid-century in, house. Yeah, yeah that's yeah and time and again like there's no um there's no shortage of just like very Mayberry-esque imagery and aesthetic in, in a lot of these movies. And it's so many of them are about nostalgia and what they tend to demonstrate about nostalgia is just this very sort of invented white middle 20th century America. Which yeah. Which is just bizarre. I think that you have to reckon that with that oftentimes the nostalgia is what's criticized by the end. You know, like 
like it's it's interesting because like usually there is some product of that that ends up being the thing that has to be undone or redone there's like that that oftentimes the lie that is uncovered ends up being from that time right um whether it's coco or um up um that like something bad happened then in this time that you thought was simple and perfect. Um, and, and you have to unthink that it was simple and perfect, perfect. Um, and like same thing with like Woody's roundup, like he wants to go back to a time that like he was famous and great. And that's symbolized by Woody's roundup. And that's just not able to happen anymore. And he has to like learn how to deal with that. Um, so I, I think I agree that there's a lot of that imagery, but there's also a lot of critique of nostalgia in these movies. So it's hard to say. I don't know. I don't know. I think the biggest the Next biggest question. example of this is is The Incredibles, where that doesn't really quite play out. Like Mr. Incredible is obsessed with the past no matter what he has to destroy to maintain it. Like they literally erase people's minds frivolously just so Mr. Incredible can like relive the glory days. Yeah. Which is pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up. Um, yeah, I think these are very good points. Next uh, burning question. Do you feel anything when the makeup <laughs> robot puts makeup on Wally? Look, I'm going to say it. I think Wally looks just fine without makeup on. I think he looks better I without makeup. I, I wish he would. Better. I, don't I wish know he would wear makeup less often. Of the makeup <laughs> I mean, if it was, could have been tastefully done. I don't know. It was a little garish. Wow, you guys. <laughs> Uh, How many people do you think Syndrome got to sign his Twitter petition to get The Last <laughs> Jedi remade? I just want to say, what was it? I think I saw you beginning <laughs> to type this or, or, or maybe you started asking me this question and I was worried that it was you criticizing Last Jedi rather than supporting it. He would I was never. very happy because he would uh, never. I fucking hate the people who don't like Last Jedi, and I also never. don't like the fact that Rise of Skywalker rewrites Last Jedi. I'm just saying it. I'm just gonna say it right here, as I have before. Um, I love Rise of Skywalker. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, what's your top five kid order? Maybe we don't do top five, but maybe we could do like top three. I had it because I didn't write five. I wrote three. It's, for me, you know, it's what's most kid friendly. I think Nemo's pretty. You know, Nemo's up there. Wally, obviously. There's nothing scary in Coco. Would a kid like Coco? It's yeah, I was trying to think about that. Is. It's longer. The music is a plus, though. Yeah, I think it kind of depends on your kid. Like yeah. I would, I would, I would have a hard time having a top three without Toy Story just because of the toys. Like kids, it's just you can't yeah, get no, over. That's it. a good point. Yeah, it's so much fun. And like, yeah, the Sid stuff is weird, 
but also like kids start fucking with their toys at very young ages i think it's important for them to see that that's messed up and it, kids that aren't andy schmidt andy never did the stuff to his toys that sid would do um yeah, my top three would probably be Toy Story, Coco, because I imagine my kid's going to like musicals because I would force them to. <laughs> if they don't, they're going to have issues living in your household. And Monsters, oh. and Monsters, Inc. Yeah. I think Finding Nemo. Just I think it's pretty. It's fun. Yeah. Um... It's about little kids. It's about little kids. It's about the environment too. Yeah. Um. One nil, Man City. Don't even joke about that shit. It's not another half half an hour. Over half an hour. Um. I don't know. Probably Toy Story. Toy Story could be also be very scary. I remember being I very scary for Sid stuff. Yeah, you need a really good Sid chaperone. I agree with that. Because I saw Toy Story very early on because I was what? I was two when it came out, less than two probably. So I remember seeing it early and having very dark associations with this, all the Sid apart, all the Sid house stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I do Sid think is Monsters also Inc. A... is also high. Yeah. Because I think it's also kind of like it, it's de scarifying certain things, you know? Like it's making light yeah. of, but not in like a condescending way of what make what kids are kids are afraid of. Well, it's sort of it's just sort of it 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 makes fear, you know, seem like what it, it, fear is its own separate thing, right? Like being scared is its own thing yeah. that like is controlled and sort of interrogated. And I think that's an important thing for kids to learn is that like. You know, it's an emotion, but it's not an objective fact. And I think that's a nice thing that's done in that movie. And also because it's fear, because it's like, and it's also reversed. Like, they are They're so scared of you of this little girl that is so, like, it is, and it's also kind of the non-rationality of fear is very much, like. Yeah, totally. Accent, accented because they're afraid of this girl who's completely harmless I know. I that's a, a, such a highlight of the Monsters Inc. movie is that like fear is such a predominant emotion in kids' lives, right? And not a lot of movies for kids like really play with that at all or talk about that or th- mostly they just use it, right? Oh, this is the scary part of the movie, but they don't like contend with it. Um, yeah. I'm. I think that's to think like that- a very like it's a good thing. It's like a morally good thing that they yeah. do that. I think I'm between Toy Story and Three and Wally to add to my Finding Nemo Monsters Inc. Yeah, Toy Story. Oh, sorry, Toy Story, Toy Story, just one. Toy Story one. Okay. Yeah. I think you have to watch them in order. I agree. Maybe so you skip two. No, you need the Jesse introduction. I guess that's true. You need to watch Joan Cusack overact. Mm-hmm. No, jeez. Oh, you overact. Um. Did everyone have theirs for that? Yeah. How do you reconcile John Lasseter? Uh, I mean, the answer is you don't. Yeah. 
Yeah. The good thing is, is that I don't think very many people know. He, I mean, he gets credit for a very, in a very small percentage of people for these movies, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, so it's not if, like you you that, if you watch Pixar, that documentary, it's like basically like a John Lasseter tug job. Like I it's, haven't seen that. And I don't think many people. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people do associate it with, with him. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's so, it's just sort of this last, well, that's probably not true. I was going to say it's, you know, Pixar is sort of a last vestige of like very white, scrappy startup. This idea of like a very scrappy startup, which is, you know, very masculine and, and very white, but I'm sure that's like, that still runs rampant in, in Silicon Valley. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not like just like one day he started doing John Lasseter things like you needed this, this ego and this very masculine environment to, to enable it for so long. Um, and there's a, yeah, I mean, there's a way to read their story as just this, and this is, I guess, just like Hollywood writ large, but it's a way to read their story where it was just this very big boys club where they were just constantly patting themselves on the back and creating this this very narrow factory of like these five guys over and over again who got to make these movies where it's completely void of women and, and people of color. I mean, they've made... Under the it, guise of how technically complicated these movies are. You know, yeah. they're like, uh, oh, you don't know how to do it. So that's why you can't do it. And they made three movies about a talking car before they made a movie about a black or brown person. And I guess, I mean, that happens when there's four guys in the room constantly obsessed with how cool they are. What was the first movie about a black or brown person? Coco. Coco. They did three three movies about cars and multiple movies about spin-off movies about planes. Hey, planes too is great, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that like John Lasseter is like what happens when like tech combines with like Disney idolation. Like, that there's this sort of, like, creative genius Disney thing also going on there. Like, Walt Disney, obviously. Um, and also there's, like, the Steve Jobs, like, tech startup that just ate money for years and years and years doing nothing. Um, and then, you know, a desk lamp bounced around a couple of times and they were funded by Disney. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, It, it it's it's tough because there's this sort of meteoric rise and I think people kept waiting for them to mess it up in terms of like putting out a bad movie and it seems like they just didn't for a very long time so people were like well I guess they earned this but obviously like the messing up was done in other ways you know they messed up by 
a terrible culture of sexual harassment. They messed up by being white and all that stuff. And, you know, just because you put out a product that a racist, sexist culture deems okay does not excuse the rest of the behavior. Um, and it's interesting because it ends up being its own Pixar movie. Like it's so, I've talked this whole time about how this movie, these movies are about over aggrandizing white men and then realizing that they're terrible. And that was John Lasseter. Like John, you know, like he's a person who took a lot of credit and was obsessed with himself and his image. I mean, anytime you saw a picture, he was wearing his own fucking merch. Like that's, that's actually something that would happen in Coco. And then it turns out he was terrible. And then it makes you think, well, yeah, maybe those things that he did that we thought were the symbols of his genius were actually the tells that he was terrible. Um, yeah. And like I said, so much of this is just Hollywood writ large, but you have the this massive intersection of the hyper-insular, hyper-masculine tech world and the hyper-insular, yeah. hyper-masculine movie There's no way world. that one's going to end badly. Yeah. Totally. All under the guise of like, but we're like, but like we're the nerds. Totally. Like what, like, what do you mean? We're the nerds though. And like, but like, yeah. we're the underdogs. John was fired from Disney. Disney's mean and, and imperial. We're the scrappy wants nerds. Wants to make money. Yeah, Disney wants to make money. We just keep getting money from people. And that's that. Yeah, I agree. It's very messed up. Especially when like Coco proves, like they hired people on that, ha- that did not have computer animating experience. And allowed them to, you know, the who is the co-screenwriter of Coco? Adrian. I'm looking it up right now. Um, so, so I think that the, a lot of times there was a sense of like, well, we promote animators. So you have to like have gone to Cal Arts and, you know, be an animator to like, be someone who's in charge here and um adrian molina is it actually a very bad example of this because he was a 2d animator at ratatouille and a storyboard artist but i guess what i said is like he did not who was his co-screenwriter on coco but did not follow the sort of like pete doctor like you're one of you're one of our lead character 3d animator whatever's and it just shows that, like, you don't have to do that, you know? Um, yeah, he's a storyboard artist, 2D animator, um, and then started writing. Uh, but obviously, he's also Latinx, and there was some value put on that. Um, and I think that that is important. realizing that pitch me was left off of the show notes anybody want to pitch me not particularly well do you remember the spirit of of this this time of what pitch me was perhaps going to be this time not really not right now 
What was the spirit? Well, we were just gonna like. Oh, what is like the like the yeah like Pixarist uh, Pixar? Yeah. Anybody got anything? Working on it. I didn't write anything already. Oh, okay. Because it wasn't on the thingy, so I forgot. It's Andy, used to be one? about something. I've been kicking an idea around. <laughs> Tell me about it, Stud. Do you know that kids trick-or-treat bags are actually alive and have a world of their own? But they're only allowed to socialize every 365 days on Halloween night? You have to make it candy, not the trick-or-treat bags, but the candy. It's a trick-or-treat bag. <laughs> no, because some, like the, the tension is that the conflict will be resolved when people start giving out healthier food because it has some like uh, kind of like self-parody, progressive, Pixar-y message to it that it's like really about stop like stop giving kids junk food for halloween oh my god no it's, it's like called, really there's about like a there's like a scaredy treat bag <laughs> there's like an angry surly trick-or-treat bag there's like a really cute like hot hot trick-or-treat bag <laughs> i call it trickies and treaties <laughs> Uh, see, my mind went to like, what is like, what is a smaller hidden world than Bugs Life? And then I just got Osmosis Jones. <laughs> or you could have like COVID 19 as an animated, but that would go badly quickly. I love Osmosis Jones. <gasps> I'm into it. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's basically like a, a Pixar yeah. ripoff of Osmosis Jones, where it's like bacteria. Uh, it's like the, what's the world within a world? Like it's just a gut. Like people, just like little characters hanging around in a gut. Yeah, there's also like a school supplies one that you could potentially, <laughs> you know, think of. That like you know the sort of the the year of the you know yeah yeah the, the school supplies like thing where that takes place maybe over the course of yeah, the school the year new fancy school supplies like a mechanical pencil or like or even yeah. i guess now it'd be like an ipad oh yeah or yeah no the ipad is what's going to come in and destroy them all and the destroy because it it's technology and because the technology, library like books an end up in the dumpster <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, because you have like technology is rooting education kind of thing, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. old school. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And the Woody character is like a mechanical pencil or something like that. You throw in a couple dumb students, and they're all fat <laughs> oh, and ugly. Yeah, and you have like a highlighter is is someone else, and oh yeah, yeah, you got like the highlighter has a personality. You have your like. Yeah, it's, it would be a whole thing. What are something that no one uses anymore? Like a three-hole punch is like no one uses a three-hole punch. Oh, a non-electric anymore. pencil sharpener. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lewis Black plays the red pen. 
Yeah, sure. It's all, it's all, it's it's all, all anger. Yeah, it's all anger. And then it's sort of pedantic. And there's like a, yeah, but there's like a progressive purple pen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like a purple pen who's played by like, um, like an Annie Potts type who is just like, like just wants everyone to like chill and like be kind to each other. I still like trickies and treaties. <laughs> and Greta, Greta Gerwig would be a good purple pen. Oh, Greta Gerwig would be a good purple pen. And then you have like a, yeah, like a fluffy topped pen, um, like a cute, very decorative pen that no one uses. Um, then there's like the whole pencil sharpening thing. The pencil sharpener is like this evil force. I guess you'd have to do that, right? Sure. I don't know. Or like a haircut. Yeah, or it's like a haircut. Where like the essence of the pencil is the eraser, actually. So it's not like you're destroying the essences of the pencil by just Yeah, it's like a Benjamin Button scenario. Like the, the you are larger when you are. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um We wanna cool. once again thank thank our Yeah, thanks to again to to Dylan Stratones uh, for the tones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and his Darian for our our artwork. Um, what a lovely episode. What are we what are we doing next, guys? I think we're all pretty excited about it. We're so breaking the format wide started. open, baby. Wide <laughs> open. Uh, we are doing Films from 1967. Not quite a genre. It's format defying. As was 1967. Like, As was 1967. Yeah. What's our list? So, I think it's like 16, 17 movies from 1967. I couldn't name them all right now. Do you want me to? Is that what you were saying? Or didn't you say what's up? about it. Rachel, you're making a face. No, you were making a face. I was making a face because you were making a face. We're all yeah, making no, faces. Name them, name them, name them. Name all them. right. In chronological order. <laughs> uh, we got Belle du Jour, Barefoot in the Park, You Only Live Twice, The Dirty Dozen, In the Heat of the Night, Bonnie and Clyde, Two for the Road, The Jungle Book, Cool Hand Luke, The Producers, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Valley of the Dolls, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and Weekend. All films from 1967. And only, what, three of which I've seen. Which and I we picked is... 1967 because it was considered a sort of very key year sure. in um, sort of the ending of what we would consider like old Hollywood type movies uh, of there being just a different type of movie and sort of like what a key year in like shepherding in what people, a lot of people consider like a major cinematic golden age in the seventies. Um, 67 was supposedly a turning point for that. According to who's the author of pictures of a revolution at a revolution, Mark Harris, Mark Harris, who wrote an excellent book on the subject that I haven't read, but I've heard it's excellent. Yeah. Mark Harris. Yeah. Should be fun. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening, folks. 
Play it, Sam. Play the Stratones. <laughs>